So here we are. We're live, boys. Hey, broadcast is live. Broadcast is live. Here we go. We've got a couple of act our regulars on. Professional, yep. guys. Time to act professional. Welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under podcast. And with us this evening, we have Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives, Corin Urkar from Artisan Supplies, and me, Kev, from Kev's Forge. How are you guys? Look, Apparently we're good. late. Uh, uh, we know. Are we late? No. I, Look, I we're we, we, scheduled for, we schedule it for the time and StreamYard, who's going through, brings it up. Oh, and here we go. Okay, I just got to turn. There we went. Oh, <laughs> 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 right, here we go. Second time around. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. We can hear you, mate. Can yep. you hear us? Okay, I can hear you. You just can't see me. That's okay. That's okay. So um, here we go. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm, uh, whatever reason, the browser won't um, support the cam in this at the moment. So um, anyway. That's okay. Could be worse, well, mate. People know what I look like. Yeah. Yeah, you're a monster. He's, he's, he's biggest, got the biggest guns in knife making in Australia next to mine. <laughs> <laughs> you are a beast, my friend. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm shrinking and fading away, mate. Lately, well, oh, no, would you believe no, that my camera can. now? Yeah, my camera's just decided to. Well, we're off to a good technical start at knife making down under, so we're just going to cruise along. We've got about fifty-three people now watching us and uh, ready to go. So. Um, welcome everybody, and uh, as we advertise tonight, we've got a special guest being Rob Herbert from R&N Blades. So um, while we're talking, it'd be a really good idea to cruise over to his site, check out what he does um, on his uh, Instagram and on his Facebook, and um, you can ask any questions during the night, and we'll do our best to put them up for him. How you been? Absolutely. Flat out, mate. I've just actually walked in from the workshop. Um, I just finished... Um polishing a knife that's going out the door tomorrow um, and getting some sheaths ready for sewing. Not that beautiful Dharma Steel kitchen knife I saw? No, that, that's actually going to hopefully be a bit of a pot stirrer, so to speak. Um, we're trying to get a little bit more um, interest ramped up in the native food that we have or our game food that we have here in Australia. Um, through R&M Blades, I guess, and everyone knows I'm a pretty keen hunter um, and I like to source a lot of my food from outdoors. So we're putting together a cookbook. So it's going to be a 25-page cookbook and it's going to be just from submissions from um, people that follow us. And a knife very similar to that will be a giveaway prize um, to the best submission. So... My daughters, I've got three daughters, and they're taking control of that. They're all adult kids. And um, my first daughter's going to Kev's back. Um, my first daughter, Shay, she's going to do all the editorial with the um, grammatical stuff because she's pretty king on that. Um, and then once she's done all of that, then it's going to go to another daughter who does all the Photoshop stuff and then um, to my last daughter who will look after all the publishing means and get it out there to the community. So... Happy days. So, so when you say native food, are you talking, um, are, are you talking wild edibles, or are you talking the hunting and fishing? Both, both. So we're really trying to encourage also the um, 
indigenous culture that's out there that's pretty strong that people don't know about as well. So there's a whole lot of different um, bush foods, if you could say that in inverted commas, um, that people don't know about. And a lot of those bush foods go well with game meat. Um, so that's the sort of stuff I'd like to open people's eyes to a little bit and without getting too political in the environment that we're in now where um, I wouldn't say that food is unreliable in Australia, but being able to, um, you know, source your own food and put it on the table for people. And um, I mean, that's one reason why we all make knives, you know, that's, it gets a little bit more um, contact with actually what you do and why you do it. So if you make a chef's knife, to be able to be handy in the kitchen and use your chef's knife, you know, there's a pretty pretty good feeling that goes with that. And that's the same with producing food and putting it on the table, whether it's a dinner party or just um, for yourself, that's recognisable and enjoyable. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, Mert, Mert would probably talk to that just as well as anyone, being as that's how he got into knife making. Well, actually, I was going to ask Robert a different question. Robert, this is Mert here, mate. Since this, since this all COVID thing, how the you can gauge it a lot better since you're more in the hunting community. How the people's interest in hunting and all the bush foods changed since people realized our food resources are not are not like they're rock solid and all yeah, of a sudden well, we might we might lose the we might lose the connection and people might really have to hunt again how did it change i guess to peel it back a little bit um my grandparents and my parents always had a backyard vegetable garden and a dukes or something similar and that was a very strange thing to do and um, a lot of people knew where their food basically came from because they'd have to go out to the veggie garden and go and get veggies or tend to the garden or get eggs from the chooks or whatever else. And that was in suburbia, you know. It was not just out in the country. Um, and I think that people have sort of um, stretched away from that a little bit with the convenience that stores offer us as consumers. Um, and you can see the same modelling going on with when people go and buy a $20 knife and then wonder why it doesn't perform, but it's a throwaway knife. But um, going back to the food sourcing, I think that a lot more people are uh, prepared to chase that paddock to plate. So they get a better understanding of where their foods come from, what sort of connection they have had with that food from the gathering of it to putting it on the plate. And I think that uh, more and more people are less trusting of what is actually in their commercially produced food that they buy at the store than what they can do personally when they know how they caught the fish or, um, you know, harvested the deer or pulled the, the carrot from the ground. They know the whole process behind it a little bit more trusting. So more and more people are more interested in being able to sort of shore up all of those things so they know they can go and pick cauliflower, broccoli from the garden when it isn't in the shop. They can pick an apple from the tree that they know how to prepare a fish or, or pull the backstraps out of a deer. And I think more and more people are returning to a couple of those old school sort of, I guess, diehard ideas of um, being able to survive ourselves. You know, it, was, it wasn't that long ago our grandparents went through the Great Depression and, um, you know, you think that wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, Hiroshima was only 75 years ago. We're not all that old, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, less reliant on listening to some pseudo TV chef star tell you that the food doesn't contain certain hormones from a certain grocery store when you buy their meat. That's that's yep. what it's come down to. You need they need to pay people to convince you 
that the food doesn't have additives. Whereas like you were just saying, Rob, you know that if you go and get it yourself or you've got a friend that goes hunting and uh, is kind enough to provide you with some of his um, his bounty, then you're pretty much assured that that thing's been raised on organics up there in the mountains and and has had as little processing as possible. Absolutely. And I think that when people are looking at um, improving the health of their family, and it's not just health physically, mental health as well, um, there's a lot to be said about getting your hands dirty. It's a bit of an honest thing to do, but at the same time, you speak to a whole lot of people who garden and they feel so much better after having connection back to the earth. And I think that all of us as individuals um, really enjoy that um, to some extent, you know, but all of us, it's deep down in us. It's like when people see a knife. Why do they get really, you know, fired up when they see a knife? They've got to own it because it's one of the oldest things that's been imprinted in our heads from, you know, it's the first tool that, that we've had. You know, and it's it, they look at it and say, I must have because part of survival. And I think that going along those same lines, it's um, looking at how do we go back to being able to supply our own food. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I just say my neighbour across the road from me, I made him a knife and he goes hunting. And uh, funny thing is, he goes hunting, loves the hunt, but doesn't actually enjoy um, deer meat in particular so I'm beneficial to that that every time he comes home from a hunt he comes and knocks on the door and hands me over you know his share of the spoils and man I love the stuff I just probably sacrilege I guess but I just made some of the most beautiful jerky out of um, the last lot of deer meat that he gave me and it, it, you know my wife and I were just away for a couple of days um, time out refresh the headspace and you know sitting down just eating that jerky that you knew literally was hunted three days before I made it, um, you know, and it, it's deer meat in particular with the small amount of fat that's in it, especially on those back straps. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely yep. bloody perfect. Hard to beat it. Look, I, th I think that um, getting people excited about their own food and gathering their own food is only a small part of what we can do. You think about how people uh, look at a really well-balanced knife that they can use in the kitchen. They are already emotive about using that knife they see themselves in the kitchen cutting whatever it is. And when they can cut an onion without crushing the cells in the onion, which is what causes your eyes to bleed over the over the sink, yeah. um, you know, it, 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 they're already, um, you know, it's a romantic sort of idea, but it's also a an absolutely achievable idea, you know, to be able to do that. So, you know, all power to being a bit of a home chef and... Um, being able to supply not yourself but all your friends, you know, because there's a lot of families that aren't doing it so well at the moment as well. And if I can do 20 kilos of snags and I can do, you know, 15 kilos of mints and I can do all that sort of stuff for people and I can feed families that haven't got money at the moment, it's a good thing all around. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Huge, huge. And so yeah. you're doing most of your hunting these days with um, with the bow or with the rifle? Um, I'm doing a lot with the rifle at the moment just because of time. Um, we've got... So much work on in the workshop, you know, between we've got uh, about 20,000 followers just over between um, Facebook and um, Instagram. We deal in Germany, in New Zealand, um, in America, um, and obviously in Australia as well, supplying the knives here with military contracts and um, other um, law enforcement contracts as well to fill. Um, we're quite busy, and it's just my wife and I doing it. Um, so... 
when I get half an hour to go out and grab a deer, um, I would love to spend a couple of days with my bow back out in the bush, but I just got to zip out, go and grab one, grab one, and uh, it's just get a quick, back. quick trip to the supermarket instead of the uh, long prolonged uh, walk around the mall sort of thing. Yeah, is, is that a drive through? <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's certainly part of you know it's a big motivator for me as well when I'm seeing people out there using the knives that I've made um, to help them get a really good clean harvest. So um, when someone cuts meat, so this, um, t- to be talking about that, if someone's using a blunt knife and they put a hundred cuts in the meat, there's a hundred um, opportunities for um, the meat to spoil. So bacteria and stuff can jump in on every one of those meat cuts. But if you've got a sharp knife um, that brings the harvest home without that sort of um, high spoilage factor, to me, that makes it, you know, I'll make knives all day for people that want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Mate. Yeah. It's your passion. Yeah, totally get it. I think it's that good thing as well, mate, that, you know, we're all in the same boat, really, I guess, when we're trying to make our gear to the best level that we can and get it out there. And, you know, we all follow each other on the social media side, but you have that connection. Every time I see one of your posts that you pop up and someone's, you know, got one of your cheetahs or something like that on there, I get that little buzz out of it myself on mm. like for you. It's great to see it. Like I said, that, you know, one of your mates is out there doing something great and you know, people are using the knives. But I guess in terms of a knife-making sense in Australia, especially for me, that's what counts. I want to see more and more of the guys that I know getting their gear out there and then getting those photos back from the users and actually seeing your stuff in, in work. It's good yeah. to see. I've been eyeing off one of them Heliums for a while, so, yeah, you may get an order <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a nice little, uh, nice little design. Very, very practical. Um, guys, if you haven't checked out his work, go and um, follow him. As I say on Instagram, and it's it's a it's a complete package with Herbie. You get the whole story. He runs you through as he's as he's working, and you see the different things that he's doing and different machinery and and yeah, what's happening. So it's a really good channel on Instagram to, to follow. Actually, Robert, I was going to ask you for those who don't know. I mean, I know you have a big following on Instagram and Facebook. So how did you get, for those who don't know, how did you get into knives and knife making? Yeah, okay, great question, Matt. Um I grew up in the country um, and, you know, from whereabouts, that... Whereabouts were you? Like in the country in Victoria? So up in New South Wales on the outskirts of Windsor. Um, so... You, you guys up in New South Wales would know where that is. So I, I know where you went to school, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I went there too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, when, when I grew up, we started working in the morning at about uh, from oh, about 10 years old. The neighbour had a farm and we started working about 4.30 in the morning and worked through until 6.30 and then ran back home through the <clears> scrub <throat> and um, had a breakfast and shower and went to... Um, went to school and did all that again in the afternoon. So for me, when I was growing up, um, having a knife was more than just um, something that I aspired to do. I needed a knife as part of my daily jobs to be able to work around the um, around the farm. And my grandfather was a really big um, instigator in keeping your blade sharp and um, set, taught my big brother and I how to... Um, 
set traps. So we, we had a trap line we had to clear on the way home from um, working. We would grab rabbits and whatever else out of it and we'd have to have a sharp knife to be able to process the rabbits and we'd put the rabbits in the sink for mum and they would be de-haired and gutted and um, she would prep them for, mum would prep them for dinner that night. So I just, I guess I just really admired how my grandfather's knife was, no matter how he, what he rubbed it on, how he did it, was always shaving sharp. So it really kicked me off into that wanting to sharpen. So I sharpened every knife in mum's kitchen about 12 times, you know, um, in one day just with this shitty old stone. And I read a lot of the books um, from back when, the boys' annuals and those sort of books, you know, with Grizzly Adams and all of those frontiers sort of stories, and they always had a really good bowie knife. So when I was allowed, um, I saved up for um, this knife. There was a bowie knife that was in there when I used to sell knives and toy shop. It was actually in Dural in, um, near Castle Hill. There was a toy shop there, and um, I, yeah, I could buy this Bowie knife for thirteen dollars, and it took me more than a month of wages at the farm because I only got paid six bucks a week for, for seven days' work um, <laughs> to, to, to save up for this Bowie knife. Gotta call the day... You're gonna have to call <laughs> the Fairbrook on that one, man. <laughs> so, you know, it was um, it was just unreal. This knife that I wanted, it had a fake bone handle, <laughs> that sort of stuff. But in my head, it was my it was my bear-killing knife, you know. It was my adventure knife. Well, the day I had enough money, I jumped off the school bus and walked into the um, Dural oh, They were the days, weren't they? There. They were the days when you could jump off the school bus and buy a knife. Yep, <laughs> and I walked in and he had sold the last one. Oh. I, <laughs> I felt like the world had actually stopped spinning on the axis. <laughs> I was... I was just so devoted, and I walked out of there. I think I tripped over my lip three or four times. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went back home, and I was so upset. Anyway, so I, after I got over that, um, I made my first knife out of a, a out of a um, a fence post shovel that that Dad had. That was probably perfectly operational until I took to it with a hammer and a, and a grinder and pulled it apart. <laughs> and um, cut this rough-looking thing. I knew nothing about making knives, and I probably can still say I don't, but, you know, I pulled this knife, of this um, shovel apart and made a, a bush knife out of it, and it was terrible. So I decided I needed a piece of flat steel, and um, where would I get this flat steel from? And I eyed off the um, power board in Dad's shed because it had a big flat piece of steel in it, and I, I thought... <laughs> That's what I want. And after months and months of me, like, just ramping myself up because I knew Dad would be pretty cross, um, I pulled the, the the flat piece of steel, which was the actual internal cover to the board on the, on the um, power board, and pulled it out and cut it up, and I cut out this bloody awesome um, knife, and I've still got it somewhere. But um, Dad, Dad wasn't happy. He didn't really swear a lot, Dad, but... I heard him swear when <laughs> he saw his power board to the workshop pulled apart, you know. Yeah, you I think something <laughs> you little bastard was on. You know? so, but, um, you know, we grew up running around doing all that sort of stuff and, um, you know, we'd go down to the creek and we'd spear silver eels and catch yabbies and just have a real bush kid's life, you know. It was fantastic, you know. And uh, once again, having a knife to do all that stuff was part of your kit. 
so that sparked my initial interest in knives and uh, looking at them and that sort of stuff. And then uh, going through high school, I went and did metal class and all those things in the metal class. And I wanted to make a knife there. And the metal teacher did a little bit of forging and um, showed me how to heat and temper steel and that sort of stuff to a very, very, very basic level. Um, and I made a rough little knife at school and uh, did all that sort of stuff. And then progressed through that and went and joined the army and um, saw how good a knife could be in the army and how effective it was. Um, and during that, I'm sort of fast forwarding at, you know, times 11. During that time, um, I went to a uh, an army um, camp, if you want to call it that, and met Adam Parker. Um, and um, Adam Parker from Ballarat, from Parker Knives, um, he had this knife that um, he'd made some other dude and he was making some knives with some guys that were going overseas and whatever else, and I was pretty impressed. And um, anyway, I didn't actually hook up with him too much then, but I actually turned a light bulb in my head that there's a, there's a world out there of people that make knives in Australia. Like, this is pretty cool. So um, long story short, I got out of the army years later and um, I was shooting a lot of kangaroos for a bloke, um, you know, a couple of hundred a week and I needed a much better knife than what I had to hold an edge. I thought, oh, buddy, um, look up that um, look up that bloke, Adam Parker. So I looked him up and he said, yeah, I can make you a knife. It's going to cost 230 bucks or whatever. And I nearly fell over. I was like, how much? You know? <laughs> And um, it was made out of ATS-34 and uh, brass guard and all that sort of stuff. And so we had a bit more of a conversation. And he said, well, we haven't caught up for ages and ages. How about you come down to Ballarat and um, spend the weekend at my place? And together we'll go through how to make a knife and whatever else. And so I guess, you know, $230,000 later, here I am today. Um, <laughs> it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> So, you, wish, um, you wish that that was an exaggeration, mate, but it's yeah. bloody not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so, no, you know. um, yeah, so that's that's kind of, you know, how I first started getting into knives and understanding that they were more than just a a, um, a flashy tool and, um, yeah. All right. kind of... take, take us back a little bit in time, mate, because we did, like I said, about 11 times fast forward there. Take us back to your first workshop, like, um, what what was in your first workshop when you first started getting into, um, you know, making them as Not a hobby? So um, when I got a little bit serious, I'd been to three or four guild shows as a non-guild member, just went to the guild shows and had a look down there. And I'd, um, in that in that whole time, I'd, I'd bought um, Wayne Goddard's $50 um Yep. knife shop or whatever it was called yep yep and i i'd um i tried to build a grinder but if worksafe had seen what i'd built they'd certainly would <laughs> shut me down for life and when the belt ran off it and took off across the floor like it had its own soul it didn't even collapse it still stayed round and went whizzing past me at <laughs> about four and a half thousand surface feet a second i thought hmm, I need to buy something that's made by someone else. So I bought an Abbott and Ashley um, and at just a, a bigger, I think it was an eight-inch uh, eight single-horse um, grinder. Um, Is that the multi-tool or just the... 
Yeah, I just bought it first originally and tried to grind just on the um, grind Stops. wheels. And, yeah, and that wasn't very successful at all. Um, it wasn't – I thought that I could just stand in front of it and go, you know, yabba dabba do, and this knife would turn out, but it just turned out horrible. So then yeah. – um, at that point in time, we didn't actually have anything that we had now in Australia. And as far as I think that um, 84 Engineering did one of the first um, conversions of a bench grinder into something you could use, similar to yeah. being a, Yeah, so I, I, I then put the, the multi-tool thing on mine. This is prior to 84 Engineering stuff. Um, I put the multi-tool on mine. It was running way too fast, but then I made some knives on it. I learned to use the tool that I had. Um yeah, and, and um, I'll tell you, I just interrupted there about multi tools. Um, it was, um, oh, fuck, what's his name up in Queensland? Wild guy invented the Filosetti, Steve Filosetti. Steve Filosetti yep. said to me, Nothing wrong with a multi tool, they're the original variable speed grinder. I said, What do you mean they're variable speed? He said, The harder you push, the slower they go. <laughs> <laughs> That's no lie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think that that's when I that was my very first um, uh, knife making grinder, if you want to call it that. Um, and I actually took my um, knives that I made off that down to the knife show and had um, Peter Dorelso look at them, and he, he wanted to know how I could hollow grind them so thin without burning through the material. Um, I thought he was actually giving me a compliment, but uh, now that I look at it, I think, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? But I sat, I sat with Pete at um, that show and he spent about an hour and a half with me, as I'm sure that he has with thousands of, Heaps of people, people that have started knife making. And I've still got the brown bag that he sat down and showed me some design concepts, which I carry through my work today in relation to pin placement and, yeah. um, you know, lines and all that sort of stuff you know things to look for and look at and whatever else and um that sort of really encouraged me to want to come to um more of these guild shows and learn more about it so that was my first tool and i, I just used a normal battery drill i didn't have a um i didn't in any way have any sort of like drill press or anything like that um and yeah just went to the shows and started to learn more about what was out there and then um there was a german guy that was out at um the other side of ballarat there um, i'm trying to think of his name i don't think he's passed oh, hey, away hey, hey, um wangerman wangerman yeah and i bought a harvey Wa hardy hardy, hardy wangerman. wangerman yeah that's it yeah i went out to see hardy and um oh, i bought a hardy wangerman grinder and Man, for me, that thing was like, um, you know, <laughs> a Rolls Royce. You know, that was unreal compared to grinding on the um, Abbott Nashley thing. Um, and I made a few knives on that, and um, some of them were disasters, and some of them were okay. Uh, you know, and I, I think I just got to learn how to make knives on shitty equipment really before, because it wasn't really any more. Hardy was one of the only guys making. Um, grinders of any standard back then so I guess in a way I wasn't spoiled I had to learn how to make knives and how to grind and how to adjust pressure and uh, all those sort of bits and pieces to be able to um, you know um, make a successful knife so yeah there you go 
I'm not. Golden, golden. I remember your, I think it was your first show, was my first show, 2012, um, Guild Show. Yeah, yep. yep. Yeah, and you, you sold out well, sort of lunchtime on the first day or something, pretty early on in the piece, I think, on that. That was back at the Ibis. Yeah, that's correct. Um, well, I became the Treasurer Secretary for the Guild for quite a number of years, um, and I'd unfortunately for me with um, the work that I had I had too much going on and um, it was the early stages unbeknownst to me of PTSD and um, I just wasn't able to handle the workload as well as I wanted to and um, I mean Facebook was hardly a thing and it was really difficult organising um, you know everything to do with the guild and um, all those sort of bits and pieces um, but certainly um, you know gave my quarter of blood for the guild and still support it today yeah absolutely mate absolutely you're the one who first set up the paypal and things which we can't use anymore but it was still, you did a lot of a lot of hard yards back back in time to get things moving so yeah i certainly remember that i was only new new to the new to the scene at the time so yeah yeah i think um we organized one of you or we spoke about you getting your first bolt buy done what did we think about it you know the, the one yeah you were on the first bolt buy for steel you were on probably the second one for grinders where you got your first wilmont yep. um and um you're the guy that said did you know there's this product called rhino wet it's everyone's secret weapon that's how they're getting their knives done so quick and then i did the rhino <laughs> wet bolt buy out of that i remember that um yep. <laughs> and um yeah, just that, those were those were fun times. And as you say, there was not much going on back then, and it was like the world was kind of our uh, our oyster in terms of what we could bring in because there wasn't anything yeah. here. So yeah, and then you got you got the tag one hundred and one, which you've you've had for years, and you're still mates with Chris Williams, and you've spent time in his shop as well, eh? So you guys have a relationship that goes back a ways as well, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the knife making itself, for anyone that wants to get into it, um, really opens up doors and um, relationships to people that you would never think possible, you know? So um, it's it's more than just making knives. Oh, absolutely. The mateship's incredible. I There's, there's very few people in our industry um, <clears throat> that I... That I that I don't actually like as people, and and yep. it's it's not many places where I go in life where I find that. You know what I mean? It seems to me that if you've got the DNA to make knives, um, you sort of set you into a good spot straight away as being like just kin, really. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Have a look at it when we all meet up over in America when you're not hiding under a table with a headache. Oh, um. fair, fair, fair suck of the sav dude we're, we're not there we're not there like you we're not there for business we're just there for a good time so it's gonna happen right but it's it's um you know it's just unreal no one doesn't support each other you know it's just unreal it's a really yeah you good... gotta you gotta look at the support mate especially when you know that camaraderie when another bloke gets you out of a tight situation by traveling halfway across the world and bringing an extra four packets of Tim Tams over for your mates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> the, um, the amount of, <laughs> the amount of <laughs> traction I got from those Tim Tams, mate, uh, much, much appreciated. Oh, for for yeah. people who, who um, haven't been to Blade, it's a, it's a absolutely huge, huge event. Um, 
And when you see another Aussie there, not just uh, a patron but a mate, it's a real, it's a bloody Christmas morning moment. It really is. It's good to see. Oh, it's it's surreal. Yeah. It really is surreal. I reckon. It's, and, um, uh, hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, we'll get the travel back in and around the world or the global travel going again before too long so we can actually, you know, I know there are a lot more Aussies that were planned to be going over to Blade Show this year that, um, unfortunately, with everything that occurred, never got over there. So I think yeah. in terms of that tra that traction and, you know, that's the stories that we talk about continually, I know a lot of people get a bit bored with them, but you got to get amongst it. you got to... you. I think once you get over there and you're a part of it, then you'll understand why we have such fond feelings about the whole thing. And like you were saying before, Rob, just the, the friends that you meet and the in that knife-making community, um, you know, we've, we've been over there and, you know, apart from, say, someone like yourself, you know, you've got that bit of a legend status here in Australia. But I remember going past a couple of tables in the US and looking down at these knives and going, man, they 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 ringing bells these knives. And then you lean over and you have a look at the name of the person on the table or on their lapel or something, and you realise it's like knife making royalty, and yeah. you are in front of them, and they're prepared to just have a chat. And you know, you're just another person. You just you're just blokes, and you have that connection when you tell them you're a maker. Um, yeah, it's hard to beat. Look without. Um name dropping because it's not what I'm meaning to do. I've been mates um, with a bloke called Ken Onion for quite a while and um, we talk, I guess, on more like an, an uncle for me type of level. And it really sort of opened my eyes up to, uh, for me, he's always been Ken, you know. And yeah. um, I was doing a grinding demonstration um, at Blade and there was a fair few people standing around having a bit of a look and that sort of stuff because it's amazing at these knife shows the amount of people that appreciate the art or they might talk it up, but they can't actually just step up in front of a grinder and um, grind, you know, because they need so many different vices to be able to grind. Anyway, Ken's in his little, because um, he's got a really bad back, he's had 20-something operations on his back and he's in a little sort of like a golf carty thing. And he rocks up and he's got about 30 people following him, which I thought was really weird. And he walked over to me and he gave me a hug and goes, what's going on, man? I said, I'm busy, Ken. Take a seat. I'll talk to you in a minute. And then he couldn't have heard <laughs> the, the crowd went. <gasps> <laughs> and I was like, huh? <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, Ken just laughed. He thinks it's funny. I tell him when I see his knives, are you going to finish that knife yet, Ken, or what? Like, you haven't finished grinding them. I've got a few Ken Onion design Kershaws. They're all, they're quite nice. Very nice, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I got one of those. I got one of those yeah. off you. And, uh, yeah, it was actually funny today, Rob, because of seeing your, the time that you spent with him a couple of years ago when you went over. I think it was particularly when you were, looking at your folder development or just in, in your yeah, general yep. style development. Um, yeah, and I've I, I got to be honest with you, I didn't know who Ken Onion was. And it sounds funny, you know, you're a knife maker. Everyone just expects you to know who all these people are. And it's like there's so many names to know and so many people to know in the industry. So it was after you were talking about it that, yeah, I went and had a look at his stuff and I was like, oh, man, these are, these are the bee's knees. These are bloody awesome. Um, and then your connection and then, yeah, I've got this knife off Corrin that he picked up over in the US 
And yeah, Ken Onion's name on there, and oh, I just had that little oh yeah, this is me mate, Herbie's mate. <laughs> <laughs> you automatically have that connection, and it's a funny thing. Oh uh, mate, when you when you um, step outside of the comfort zone of Australia um, and go and really, you know, get your knives looked at by people like Bill Harsey, you know, Ken Onion, those sort of guys that are like elders of the knife making world, and they give you feedback on how your knife is or whatever. Um, I think one of my biggest, um, you know, I try to stay pretty humble is, is is one thing I try and do because I think that if you drink your own bath water, you'll fall over pretty quick. But um, Bill Harsey came up to me at the last Blade show and he said, oh, I, want, I want to shake your hand, Rob. I said, oh, okay, why? Why's that? <laughs> and he said, oh, you know that, um, that little helium that you're making? And I said, yeah. He said, you know how um, Kafaru wanted to have a small knife made and they picked your helium. I said, yeah. He said, well, they picked your helium over my design. Well done. And I thought, yeah, what? Well, thanks, Uncle Bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't, you, you certainly don't let your ears get too big from that. It's just, um, you know, what it is. But, it, you know, I've fallen on my feet there, I guess, a little bit and being able to design knives for Kafaru and uh, being a uh, designer and maker, um, it's yep. certainly been a, a good feather in my cap anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a, like I said, you know, in that environment, especially staying on that, that Blade Show stuff, it's funny, like I said, you know, when you go over there and you walk, for us, you know, you go into as an Aussie, uh, I went across there, I guess is an un, a absolute unknown when I went across and I was meeting people through people and I was getting names and I'd have to go and go, like sign onto the Wi-Fi and Google who these people were. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Like I had no idea. And I was meeting these people and shaking their hands and having a chat and buying them a drink or they were buying me a drink, whichever way it worked out at the time. And then you walk away. Like I literally would walk out into the, into the pit and Google and go, you know, who's this fella and then find out that it's you know master smith that's been around top of the game for 35 years and you sort of go oh yeah. oh bloody hell <laughs> oh he's just another bloke really when you're just down the bar having a drink which is awesome yeah yeah so yeah well, i think Colin, so Colin, can you pull up the question from matt snape matt snape had actually a really nice question about oh, yeah we'll saying, since we talk about knife design and all that Robert, um, Matt Snape is asking, how did you end up getting the contacts for the designing knife for the Defence Force? Yes, uh, that one. Yep. Um, I think when, you've, when you're trusted by different groups, it's easy. Let's just say that. Yeah. It's easier. <laughs> it's not what you know, it's when, you know. When, is that what you're saying? When you've been, when you've been involved, that's it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's... The background uh, yeah. respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, good on yeah. you. Look, I, I, I understand that. I think, um, you know, to, sorry, Matt, that's about as much as I can say on that. But um, I think, too, the one thing about going overseas and getting outside of the, um, the Guild show, which a lot of people have gone to, which has got, you know, what would they have, 25 makers at the show? Um, and you think... It, where you're at as a maker amongst that level, then you go overseas and you sometimes expect them to be a lot better 
But then when you look at, um, you know, Mertz knives, Barry Gardner's knives, you know, in their high performance end of knives, you actually realise that Australia is is um, absolutely kicking ass. You know, like we have got some top end makers over here that would blow a lot of the other guys, whether they're JSs or MSs or whatever else, out of the water. You know, just like little um, little humble rumble getting the Keesler Award last year or last Blade Show. Yeah, yeah. look. What's, what's the population of Australia? 20-something million. I think per capita, we have more talented makers than anywhere in the world. I will say that. Yep. Yep. And I think, um, you know, you, you don't need to look far to find good makers in what they do. Where I think um, if you totally think that I need to go somewhere else, you know, always looking outside of the boundaries. Um, sometimes it's right in your backyard, you know. And the people that inspire me the most are the guys that are making knives with files without any machinery, you know, that they're having <clears> a crack <throat> at their first couple of knives and yeah. they're doing it over and over and over again because they just love making knives, you know. I get that they send that's me their inspirational. Work. I get that, but fuck it, I'm not doing that. I've never no. done it and I'm not going to do it. That's why we have grinders and things. But those guys, for me, you know, that A, don't have the money or um, just want to learn from the basics up, for me, they're the guys that, you know, it depends on why you make knives, but they're the guys that really spin my wheels, you know. They're, they're, yeah, it's pretty cool, I think. Rob, Rob, guys, Rob with, oh yeah, go for it, you, you have all the tools in your shed. You have all the tools, all the accessories, and you get to manage to make one freaking knife a year. I don't want to imagine you doing trying to do a knife with the files. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like a, one knife in every other year or something. <laughs> Luke Charles Daigle says, uh, "Can you pop up a photo of your military knife for us to admire, mate? You might like to pop that up on your um, on your Facebook after this and show people what, what you're making if you yeah. if, if you if you can do so." Yeah. Yep. For um, Sierra Thirteen, it's cool. Yeah, pop onto Herbie's Instagram, guys, and scroll down and have a look because there's plenty of photos up there of the stuff that he makes. Um, at the moment, he hasn't got access to his um, camera, so we can't see his face on the on the broadcast tonight. And Corin before was scrolling through Herbie's Instagram up on the main screen, um, showing a lot of his work on there. Um, I guess one of the things, Herbie, was one of the things I've noticed with your, um, I guess, the style of direction that you make, which I'm always pleased to see, is that you seem to have that, um, the production sort of kit, which is, you know, now becoming quite familiar, the Kifaru stuff. But you also, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of the old school knife making style. And, yeah. you know, the last lot of round of knives that you just made with your, um, brass guards, timber handles, and and butt caps on them. That's that's a style that I like. So I, I think it's really nice to see that. You know, you're saying before that you're quite busy, which I think is a very dramatic understatement. <laughs> but it's nice to see that you've still got time to come back to, I guess, that where the roots of where knife making came from with you as well. Yeah, Tar. I think that for advice for people, I I, I first um, garnered. Sean McIntyre's help in uh, the mental space of what does it take to become a full-time knife maker? Um, and that was going back 
years and years ago. Um, so for me, I'd like to pass on, I guess, my experience or message to people that want to be a full-time knife maker. It's extremely expensive. It's a learning curve that you need to undertake every day because every day is when someone's going to send you a message about um, a knife that isn't any good in their eyes, a design fault, um, could have you done this a little bit better, um, and all those sort of things that you need to take on professionally and not personally. So when someone says you'll hit your knife or drag my knuckles on the bench every time I use it, if you took it personally and got shitty, um, you'll only ever make kitchen knives that drag knuckles. So it's hard to step outside of your own ego at times when you think you've designed the best knife ever um, and you want to um, produce that knife and get it out there to 100 people, but in fact the knife itself is junk. So to be told that personally can really affect people and then it'll make you crawl back under the rock and just go back to your old job, but to be able to take that advice professionally will certainly move you down the road. At the same time, it's one thing to make a knife on a weekend and to have 10 or 15, maybe 20, 50, 100 friends that all like what you make. And it's another thing to go full time when you need to put money on the table to be able to buy um, all of your consumables in huge bulk because you use them in huge bulk um, and you need to be able to make make money and it's not that you're making wage you're making money because you know Corin knows exactly the issues in relation to um, importing large amounts of whether it's steel or abrasives or whatever it is as a full-time maker there's no point having three belts of every grid on the wall because that's all you can afford yeah. you need to buy buy your belts in you know every grit in 20s or 40s in every grit you know and put that order in every month so this, so, is, a, this is a segue i think for our words from our sponsor kev yeah. yeah well we should we should have a little uh input here he's, um, he's coming in i'll just oh fuck, i haven't hang, seen hang tight word from the sponsor word from the sponsor wait also up. also quote what? also you might want to tell us about the new line of the bells Knife maker. With a lot to learn. Timmy, oh, it's Timmy. He's a handful of trouble at every Timmy, what's going on? Timmy Artisan Supplies. Timmy! 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 So, so there you go. That's our that's our new Timmy time intro. That Timmy is edited and cut up himself from various bits of Timmy legend, uh, getting drunk at knife camp and whatever else. Uh, he's just got the link and he's signing in now because I forgot to give it to him earlier because we're so professional. Here he is. Oh, here's Timmy. Timmy. <laughs> so Timmy, here's what's happening? Oh, there's the milk. There's milk. <clears throat> How you going tonight, Tim? I'm good. How are you all? We're all going. I'm well, after seeing that little uh, video. Yeah. 
That's funny. It's a good thing that the microphones get muted when that plays because I was having a good old laugh. <laughs> I'm good. Much better than the night before. Very good. Very good. Um, Tim, you're on here now to give us a quick heads up on the latest activities at Gamaco Artisan Supplies. What can people look for, mate? Well, um, we have a new bulk buy on some some belts, so that's that's pretty exciting. They're called the Reaper belts. Uh, they're uh, they're Klingspool belt. Um, I really like them. I think they're probably my favorite belt. They're a lot sharper than anything else that I've ever used. Um, you know, better than the Blaze, in my opinion. In my opinion. Um, um, they're better for Cole, um, who also works with me. Um, so, so we've got a whole range of them. So the the thing about these belts, if I can jump in on Timmy there, is that about three years ago we got onto them, but they're expensive. And that you can buy them in the States and everywhere, but they're expensive. And so we started using them. Um, and then uh, Thawa Valley Forge got onto them. I think they were the first major customer that started buying them in huge quantities. Because even though they're expensive, uh, they were lasting much longer. And then... Actually, just a whole bunch of people have been getting onto them. Bruce Barnett's now onto them. He reckons they're awesome. Uh, I don't think he uses anything else anymore in those grits. Um, uh, all the guys at Thawa, obviously. Cole, Timmy, and Sean McIntyre reckons best belts he's ever used, um, particularly in the 120 grit. So coming from Sean, who's used more belts than anyone else, uh, that's pretty big, um, pretty big statement. So... We went to Klingspore and I said, if we buy a lot of belts, can you do a better price and we can get this sort of out there? And um, they basically said, yeah, but you'll have to buy a lot. I said, that's fine, we'll buy a lot. And we gave them a, a, a we've given them a very large order. And the guys have got the, the branding happening, which is, um, uh, yeah, as Timmy said, it's Reaper. So you should be able to see that. Gamaco Artisan Supplies, Reaper Ceramic Belts. And, um, of course, they do a J-Flex in this ceramic as well and, a, and the titanium. Timmy, what's the good thing about the titanium one? Uh, the titanium one has a, a cooling top coat. So it's uh, specifically designed to keep the belt cooler. So um, it works really well on titanium and stainless steels um, because it doesn't heat up as much and it's uh, really good against those really wear-resistant materials. So we started bringing those in originally to feed the needs of one Mr. Dominant Binkert, who was grinding huge, massive blocks of titanium to make his um, his big pry bars. And, uh, yeah, he loved them. So they've been pretty popular with him. And then, again, they're more expensive. Uh, and then they've got a J-Flex one, which we're calling the Flexing Reaper. See that? <laughs> so, is that Herbie's guns on that's there? That's Herbie's guns on the Grim Reaper. Um, Too small for Herbie's. You can't see it, Herbie. Sorry, you'll have to go back and watch the live feed. And so, because they're the flexing Reaper, and I want people to give me their feedback tonight, because we've got the flexing Reaper, which is a flexible, the J-Flex, I reckon the stiff one should be the stiffy Reaper. But they won't do it. <laughs> I, I don't know. The idea has been vetoed. <laughs> I'm saying yeah. no. I'm saying yeah. yes. Let, let's not go there because we've seen yeah. what happens when uh, Artisan Supplies post up a, a meme with um, an apparent naked lady. Uh, the, the internet goes into a flurry and 
So paint, anyway, paint shop the short of all this is, the short of all this is, we have ordered tens of thousands of belts. Um, we've got a price that nobody in the world can probably get near. We're 20% cheaper um, on belt for belt than you'll buy in America on this bolt buy, uh, which you'll find on the bolt buy group. They are the genuine German Klingspore belts. I think we're even cheaper now than Blaze, Tim, with the amount we bought. Yep. Yep. And um, guys, they're, they're not like some rebranded Chinese thing. They're the genuine German Klingspore belts. We're just giving them a little bit of branding and a bit of fun because, well, because that's what we're into. But, you know, it's why a bit not? To give a, a To give not. a little taster of the price, the 72-inch 40 grit in the, the in the red reaper which is the most uh, expensive is, one yeah is the yeah. most expensive one is 10 bucks yep. per belt and yeah right so and if you try and buy like if i was looking today the price that we're selling for um uh on one off in australian dollars is the same dollar value so it's actually seven dollars and five cents plus gst it's the same dollar value that you can buy from a major american supplier in lots of 50 in us dollars so that makes us about 30 percent cheaper than america so it's a one-off special buy we only got these prices for this order so yeah as herbie was saying if you want to jump on and um and give it a go and give them some love um i i (laughs) Yeah, I reckon I reckon this is going to be the next um, the next big thing. You can buy these belts if you're listening from America. Um, Reaper belts are available from Pops Knife Supplies and True Grit and others over there, so you can give those guys some love and support. But um, yeah, absolutely awesome belts. Anyway, can anything you, else? Can you foot my five thousand dollar order? We can do whatever you want, but yeah, you just got to let Timmy know what you need. <laughs> Let Timmy know what Absolutely, you need. Absolutely. Uh, and and as a matter of fact, Herbie, I'll get Timmy to get you some samples. Yes, Mert. Speaking of the bulk buy, I just want to show this and thanks for the fast shipping, Timmy. Oh. I got balls of steel. There you go. 5100 <laughs> ball bearing steel. Nice. Fast shipping. Thanks, That's buddy. You, man. That's all right. We're actually catching up. For those of you that have been suffering for our massive wait times during COVID, we, we pushed out to 14 days on, on some or oh, some orders have gone longer than that. Yep. Um, but we're back, uh, back on top of it. We've got a whole new crew in the warehouse. And um, they're just smashing it. We're working shifts and, and we're really just getting on top of it. So thanks for your patience through that period. It's been a, uh, uh, I mean, Tim will tell you, I'll tell you, it, I've never seen anything like it, Tim. It's, um, yeah, it's absolutely. The, the amount of support I mean, we got through that pro, through that whole time. What was that, Tim? I'm working 50 hours a week. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> oh my hard, God. I'm trying real hard. Oh my 50 God. hours a week. You poor wow. thing. <laughs> These guys run their own well, businesses. You're not going to get any sympathy here, Tim. <laughs> I don't care about that, Lauren, um, the, the thing that a lot of people now don't have the uh, advantage of is being able to have lived back when you guys weren't supplying anything. So when you wanted something, it was a month's wait because you had to order it, had to Absolutely. wait for it to clear customs in the States, come over, then you pay some stupid, ridiculous tax on what came in. Then it had to get shipped to you, and you were waiting on the same amount of time, a month on materials or whatever else. So, um, support if you're listening, and it's not just because I'm, you know, any discount off or anything like that. Um, just support what's here in Australia, um, you know, if you can, and it all goes around in a big circle. So, yeah, look, that's uh, it. it's no excuse. Though. We have had this has been a total shift for for the business. 
um, we went from a wholesaler. You remember that you guys actually were all there, Kevin and um, and Herbie yeah. particularly, and Mert not long after. We were just a, a little gas equipment supplier wholesaler. Gas supplier. Exactly. And now, um, now uh, probably in terms of the number of orders, probably 90% of the stuff leaving my New South Wales branch is to make a knife. You you wouldn't you wouldn't think that that could happen, but but we lived through it. So we You're went absolutely killing the um, gas side of business. I'd say. Well, we do pretty good in gas, but that's um, it's just totally it's just different, you know. Yep. So we have different people. We have uh, a different understanding and a different mentality. The knife making customers. I don't I've been. A, don't want to be rude, but there's a different mentality in terms of the expectation from the customer as well. So. Um, it's just, it is just different. You're not sending a stock order for most of these guys. You're sending something that they ordered on a Wednesday that they want for the weekend. And it, it just, yeah. it's like we do our best, but you, you, you're going to let people down. It, it's just yeah. collateral damage, but we no, do our no. best. So you got yeah. to do a good job. You're supporting the, you're supporting the community. You're given the opportunities to get stuff in cheaper than anyone can ask for most other avenues and like Herbie was saying, without the hassles, without the personal hassles of, you know, I remember back you guys had basic sort of stuff and I remember going onto the Jance website and drooling over stuff and yep. then, yeah, sending out the emails, wait wait because of the time delay, you'd probably get back a day and a half later, you get a response because of the volume they're dealing with. Then you go back to Jance and you finally get your order through after about, you know, a week and a half of fluffing around. And then you've paid for it. Sometimes you have to ring up and give your credit card details, get up at three o'clock in the morning to ring the lovely lady over at Jance there and, and give you credit card details. And then, like I said, wait eight weeks to 12 weeks to, to 16 weeks for the stuff to get into customs. If yeah. You know, no, and then anyway. find out that when you, when you did the conversion from one-eighth to three mil, it didn't work. Yeah. Oh, and, all you, and all your shit's the wrong size. Yeah. Oh, I clearly oh. remember. I had ordered a steel from US once, PM stain. It's like powder metallurgy stainless that you want to really do stock removal. And I realized I miscalculated the inches and all that stuff. And the thing that I want to get for stock removal ended up being six mil thick. <laughs> so I had, I, had, I had to learn how to forge stain. PM stainless on power hammer real quick. So we've, uh, there's some big news in terms of steel. We've got some um, bolt buys on the water, which everyone knows the 1084 and 15 and 20. That'll be here. Timmy, when is that coming in? This is your section, not mine. Uh, that's coming in um, hopefully this month. Um, and sh we should be uh, getting web pages up for that and sending orders out um, by the end of this month. Yep, so that's um, the genuine. We've also got a bunch of stainless coming. Yeah, so what have we got stainless-wise? So we've got a whole shipment of Nitro-V coming in one of our Paragon uh, containers. Yes. We've also got some N690 coming. Um, what else have we got? got some CPM-154. M390 or M360 or whatever that shit is, the Bowler one, LMAX. Yes. And that one you wanted, one Bert, well. I bought a heap of the one you wanted. What's it called? The LMAX? No, CP something or other. CPM one fifty four. No, we got that as well. We got that from um, the states. We would spoke to. We were talking to a guy that actually Rob knows. What's the one that you wanted, Mert? And it gets real hard, and it's like um, 
26C3. That one. We've got a batch of that coming. Big one. Actually, nice. Cole, Cole's, just, Cole's just correcting us in here. It's delayed to the end of the month. It was scheduled to August. Uh, Bowler 26C3. So he knew what I was talking about. Anyway, guys. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough word from our sponsor. The stuff happening. All right. Um, and um, see you guys. Thanks, Timmy. We got more podcasts than you, Timmy. Bugger off. I, I'll play the. Ex- I don't have an <laughs> outro for you, Timmy. You got to make yourself an outro. Yes, yes, yes. I, hey, I will. I'll make one. I'll, I'll make an I'll outro. Give it, I'll give him another Timmy time because, damn it, he went to a lot <laughs> no. of effort for this. Knife maker. Jimmy, what's going on? Gamaco Artisan Supplies. All right, that'll do. I've had enough. But seriously, <laughs> seriously, Timmy's a good bloke. If you need anything, uh, him and he Cole, obviously, Ian. Uh, Joe, they're there to help you out. So um, they're, they're all knife makers. And um, if we can help, we will. If you've got a problem, if there's anything that's not right, we can't stress this enough, just pick up the phone and tell us and let us fix it because we're not about you being unhappy. So if you're not happy, we'll fix it. Just tell us what the problem is. Thanks. It's that's a funny it. thing. It's a funny thing with that, that you mentioned that, Corin, because the trend lately, I guess, with online the internet world and 24-7, is people always go to face to social media with the complaint before they contact the supplier or the maker. And it's like, uh, hello, I'm right here. A phone call, an email, a text message, whatever. I'll sort it out for you. You know, it, it's a funny thing. So remember that if you're disappointed with something, Talk to the person that's done the job before you jump online and create a whole lot of hassle. Don't, don't be, don't be Karen. Don't, don't be, be living like young. Yeah, yeah don't be living. No, be Karen. If you're not happy, just ring the manager and tell me about it. Because for fuck's sake, I can fix anything and we can sort it out. <laughs> we can get you happy. But I can't do it if you don't tell me. I can't do anything if you don't. Well, tell don't. Me. That's all I say. You forget. <laughs> you forgetting because his face is not on there. We, we've got our guest, Herbie. He's still on board. Go, Herbie. His time, right. his time is precious. Say, Cole, keep, keep, keep that up there from my point of view. All of those deals, I don't know anything about 26C3, um, but um, and obviously 15 and 20 is, you know, for forging or whatever you're going to do with it. But if you're into stainlesses, those other stainlesses, N690, LMAX, um, 390, you will not go wrong with that. It, they'll make tough, tough, absolutely unreal knives. Um, if you're new into the stainless world and you wanted to experiment with something, those three steels there that I know of, um, Nitro V as well, um, they'll make tough, shit-hot knives. And uh, just buy a little bit to start with, you know, maybe a metre, um, and you'll probably make one full-size knives and 600 little knives, which were big knives. Uh, but um, <laughs> That's you know, what yeah, but they're they all really good, well known in the knife making world. Steels for making really good knives. They're not some cheap shit steel. No, no, no. no. What's your favourite, mate? I always right, say, I always steel? say, I can get cheaper steel. Oh, you stole my question, you motherfucker. I, I sell. I don't sell cheap steel, so you can sell 
so you can make cheap knives. I sell good steel so you can make good knives. We get offers from China. We get offers from all around the world to buy cheap steel. And it's like, nah, I'm sticking with the big names, the big brands, the major mills. We deal now, we're dealing direct with the mills. The N690, LMAX, M390, 15 and 20, 1084, all comes direct from the mill. Uh, 26C3, the only one that isn't from the mills, Nitro V, which we buy out of um, NJ Steel Baron, so, uh, which is their pri proprietary product. So there you go. That's that's what we... Um, that's what. So we get, getting back to the question that was for, for our it. guest, not you, Corin. Fuck off. Herbie, what's your favourite steel to use, mate? Uh, I'm in love with S35VN, as everyone knows. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, for for the application that I use it in, um, for a hunting knife, the only thing I'd say about any of those powder metallurgy steels is that you need to use a diamond sharpening system to be able to sharpen them correctly. The carbides in them are so damn <laughs> anti-abrasive that um, if you try to sharpen those knives on a oil stone or a wet stone, you'll get nowhere fast. Um, but if you use diamonds, you'll bring it back to life pretty quick and you should be able to maintain that knife out in the field to see you through a whole hunt, no problems at all. Um, if I'm going to make a saltwater series, you'll all cringe at this, 440C. No, I won't yeah, cringe at that. Oh, I will never no, cringe. No. I will never cringe at no. 440C. No, it's a great steel. It's decent steel. Yeah. It, the it, one, one thing with the steels, like there's the flavor of the month. <laughs> yep. So there's the flavor of the month. And as a kitchen knife maker, if I was to make 1095, and I'll, like people will be <laughs> shitting on me, like, oh, 1095, it's, oh, it's an old steel, like 1095, good heat treated. You can easily reach 63, 64 in, in working hardness, but it's not the flavor of the month. It's not the 26C3 or German steel, like one point. Three, six, ten, five, twenty, some random numbers still. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you get what, the you get the yeah. flavor of the month. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that there's a lot of um, you know. I'll tell you a story. Actually, I had a guy who was a self-professed knife connoisseur and um, <laughs> knew everything about every steel and all the rest of it, and he and he really wanted me to make him this fantastic knife that was going to do everything. I made it out of 440C and um, sent it to him and he, I didn't tell him what knife steel I'd used and he said, oh, this is the best knife I've ever had. This just cuts and cuts and blah, 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 and I can sharpen it really well. Unreal, will you tell me what steel it is? I said, no, that's my little secret, you know. So um, for the average user, you know, and I'm not – putting anyone down, but the average user between all of those brand new steels, there's really a, a bee's breath between what's going to perform well and what's not. Absolutely, so, Herbie. I couldn't agree more. I just couldn't agree more. In, the amount of effort in the we back go end, to, Go for it. Yeah, in the back end as a maker, the reliability of that steel really does count on how the maker treats the steel, especially when it comes to heat treatment. Because if you're you're doing the wrong application for a steel, it's not going to work to the best of its ability. No. So it's it, you know you see a lot of people and they jump and they jump and they jump and they they're little sparrows you know they jump from there this one to this one to this one to this one and then never stand still long enough to actually work out how to use a steel properly. Yeah. And you're like just just work on something and pick a steel 
work with it for a while and to understand, you know, the time that it takes to actually get in and, and become good or familiar with a steel and repeatable, get repeatable results, then look at another steel and then work on that one as well. There's so many people that chop and change and you see them online and from one week to the next, they're using, you know, high-end stainless then they'll go back to carbon steels and then they'll go to, instead of 1084, they'll want to use ADCRV2 yep. and all the rest of it. They do it from and our shop. Like, slow down. They do it from our shop. They'll buy heaps of different stuff and it's like, <clears throat> I don't, I, I wouldn't do that. That's, I would get a sheet of 52100 or, or pick a steel that works for yeah. you, like a stainless or a carbon or whatever. And, and as you say, Kev, get to know that steel. And then, so then I, use, I use, I use, I use a lot of 1075 and 1084 predominantly because when I run my classes with the forging side of it, they're a really nice skill for a beginner to use. But I actually had a chat, you know, there's a lot of master smiths around, especially in the US, and they still happily use 1075, 1080, 1084 for their standard carbon steel knives. And there's nothing wrong with that steel. You see a master smith making a knife with a steel, it's, it's got to have some sort of value. And I, I had a talk to Sean McIntyre one time at a um, guild show, and it was, you know, I, I did pretty well on all my guild show sales. And I was saying to Sean, you know, look, I'm really happy with using this steel, but, um, you know, I get a heap of people come past and they say, oh, what steel are your knives? And you say, oh, they're 1075. And, and they stick their nose in the air and walk off. And I said, so what do I do? And he said, oh, maybe try something like 80 CRV2. And I was like, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, because 80 CRV2 sounds cool, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, I suppose. You know, and it's, you know, 1084 on steroids effectively. But, he, he, yeah, he's even one that uses, you watch what Sean does. 1075, and mate. 1075. It's, it's about the application. No, Herbie, finish it. You, you you missed a chance with that 440C knife. You should have said it's a drop pair steel. Yes. Proper, proper steel designed in Australia. Drop pair steel. <laughs> uh, look, I think that um, to, to cut through all of the bullshit and bravado that goes on, um, it doesn't matter um, what pair of shoes you put on. You've got to learn how to walk in them. And um, a lot of people are trying to, that I see as new makers, are trying to run before they can walk. And it's a yeah. thing that we're all being guilty of a little bit. But you need to learn, um, and here I am saying this, and I don't mean to be critical and come over the top a bit, but you need to learn how to do plunges correctly. If you can't do a pretty plunge line and make it even, no point moving into doing a... Um, I don't know, the top swedge and a plunge and an integral all-in-one knife, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the basic things. Get your hand sanding down, Pat. Get your edge um, geometry down, Pat. Put calipers on them and actually measure it and see where you've got all your pressure waves through it. Good edge geometry, exactly, <coughs> Barry. Edge geometry and heat treatment will outperform anything else, you know? Yeah. Um, where your handle sits. Too many people try to do too much in one knife to start with. Um I think, and then they become disenchanted because the knife doesn't work. And, and not only that, how, like a simple knife, 
um, can look just totally amazing. It doesn't need to have bling to be an amazing no. knife. A well-designed, well-proportioned, simple knife can win a knife comp at a, at a show every time and beat stuff with all the bling and engraving. The thing that I, I really established Maker told me was that your picture of a knife, that when someone sees it, you want them in their mind to want to pick it up. Correct. If you have done that, you're over the line. Um, if they just flick past you, whether it's at a show or whether it's online, if they can't see themselves using your knife, your design is wrong. So I try to make my knives, um, you know, apart from the fact that I use all my knives, but I try to make them also a little bit sexy, so that my lines are good, that my handle proportion. A lot of the new makers make the handles way too short. So you should be aiming for a four-and-a-half-inch handle on most knives at least at least um people buy a, a piece of knife steel and they always try to make the biggest goddamn blade they can out of it and they end up with a three inch handle then they say oh it's only a three finger user with an eight inch blade <laughs> <laughs> you know? so um you know and you see everyone pick up a knife that knows nothing about knives and puts their finger where the um, guard is and say oh it's well balanced because look it bounces on my finger here every knife has a different capability and a different reason as to why they might be forward weighted or why they might be heel weighted um you know, and that, they're the sort of things that um when you start making knives for performance you understand it a little bit better um yep. you know so there are the things that i think are well and truly worth if you go go to a guild show um you can go down there and talk to um or a knife show anywhere you can go and talk to a whole lot of people and makers and meet people that um actually not just make a lot of knives, but make knives and sell knives. And they sell knives for a reason. You know, it's because their knives are working. And you um, can, at a show, you can see, and, and I'm not saying you should waste makers' time at a show, by the way, but I am saying at a show, particularly on a Sunday afternoon, you can walk around and you can pick up, feel, handle, and see for yourself the difference in quality between different makers uh, and the difference in price and, and how that all works. You know, because there is a market. There is a market for lower quality knives. Um, yep. you know, because the price is cheaper. So, but yep. it, it's just the trade-off and, and at the low price doesn't necessarily mean low quality. It just could be a lot simpler design. So, yeah. So it's called ticket shock. And I think when people are new into making or you know, buying knives, if, um, Mert, what's a, what's a, um, eight or 10 inch kitchen knife worth for you? Oh, it depends on the steel, man. It depends on the steel and, Am I going to be paying two hundred bucks? No, definitely not. <laughs> a lot more than that. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. What's your starting that price? People... Mate? What's your starting price? Uh, look, if I, if I'm doing Hunter Valor blades, my second brand Hunter Valor blades starts at seven hundred bucks. I'll okay. you go. And your Mert Tanzu branded stuff? Uh that's that's uh, starts at eleven twelve hundred. There you go. Yeah. But the, the one one is machine finished. The other one is hand finished yeah, we, and all. We, we all know the difference. Is. We know the difference. Yeah. The point yeah. though is that the ticket shot. Looking at the, go for it, Rob. Keep going. So that's what I'm saying. That um, you know, when you're buying a knife from Mert, you're not just buying a knife from a guy who's in the backyard doesn't know much about it. There's actual science, and there's um, a lot more under depth of understanding of what the outcome of what that tool's going to do on the table. So. Um, people might 
glance over five different tables and say, why is Mert's knife $1,200 when I can buy one down here for $200? Go and talk to the maker and you'll probably find out that, oh, okay, so you're doing whatever it is, micro bells, I don't know, triple dunking it in goose fat, I don't know, whatever it is. But <laughs> you'll, soon, you'll soon work out who's actually um, who in the zoo. So... Um, you know, people, my cheapest knife is a helium at 185. Um, and then from there, we step up to 405 for a cold front and 435 for the Kita and the Southwind, 454 a timber handled small hunter and 465 for a large hunter. I try to keep my prices at a point where average Joe can buy them, but at the same time, I'm not selling to the guy who's only going to buy a Chinese spiker knife. No, of course not. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah. And, those, so, and those prices are extremely reasonable. I, I just recently saw you do a batch run of folders, and I thought, bloody hell, I don't even know how you're making them for that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have contacts in every... Um, part of the knife build, I guess, from, uh, you know, I'm really good mates with the people um, over at um, Niagara, you know, specialty metals. So I get a fairly good price there, but I also buy, you know, I might be spending 15 grand Australian an order, you know. Um, Yeah, not chump change. It's what you got to do. Yeah, every month, every month and a half, Mm. (laughs) you know. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, you know, th- th- when you're doing business at that level, you get to meet a whole lot of different people. It opens another section of doors, I guess. So I'm able to get stuff, um, you know, pre-machined. Um, I don't have a CNC. I don't even dare say that I understand CNC. I can run one very basically and probably crash and break 300 tools doing it. But, um, you know, where we are situated at the moment, where we've exceeded the council regulation in as far as roof space. So I can't actually put on another um, workshop to put in a CNC. Um, But I've got to that stage where um, I understand that productivity and uh, your capability and capacity are two different things. Um, And when you need to make knives to make money, you can't be doing them one knife a week. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, look, it's uh, it it is what it is, mate. Um, there are people out there that make a living, like you know, Rodrigo Sofredo. He makes a comfortable living out of making a few knives a year. But it's it's not all of us that can can sell a knife for twenty eight thousand dollars. So you know, yeah, no. You know, I think um, the other other important thing to remember is to always invest in your business. Don't invest in um, toys like, you know, surf skis and whatever else if you're really serious about your business, no matter what it is. So you might have, I've just um, dropped some coin on a fiber laser. Yeah, so, awesome. Um, you know, it's going to do pretty much one little job, but it's going to improve what I already do. But at the end of the day, I own that laser. So I've saved up for it. I've put my money aside. So my business, I can walk away from my business tomorrow and own nothing to anyone. Yeah. Um, and I not own all the tools, you know. So I think little steps at a time. If you need a new grinder um, and you can't afford the what's eighty four's top of the range grinder called? No, Gibson seventy two. Oh, the Gibson seventy two. Yeah. Yep. So what's that? Six and a half, seven grand, something like that. Six grand. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But so if you can't afford that, it doesn't matter. 
go back a few steps and you might be able to afford the um, is it the 48 yeah. the shop mate yeah. and you're not shop you're mate, not going to yeah. make better knives the shop mates is so fucking capable that's an extremely capable grinder and i don't you're not going to make a better knife because you've got a better grinder it's news flash news flash mate i've i've got i've got two of the shop mate 48s and a radius master yep and i don't struggle on any part of my work Mostly because I don't do big hollow grinds. Yep. That, that <laughs> if was, I yeah, wanted to yeah. do hollow grinds, I'd have to step up to the uh, sixty-inch belt on my current machine. But I would still adapt and do it. You don't need, like you're saying, you, you don't need to have the best machinery to do the best job. As Rob was saying before, I've seen some tidy knives come through from people that have come to do courses with me, and they're like, "Oh, I've made this," and you, you have a look at it. <clears throat> you go, what are you what are you using to make this? And they go, oh, a file. I made one of those file jigs that you see online. Yeah. And they're like Rob was saying before, their plunge lines are neat. You know, for what the tools that they're working with, the basic tools, they're doing a fantastic job because I've seen worse quality from the guys that have the $7,000 machines. They've yeah. got all the gear, Absolutely. but they haven't invested in the time to actually... Yeah use it properly or have the skills and to use it properly. And it's very hard to fuck up plunge lines on a file, but it's very easy to do it on a grinder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, like that. all of that aside, I guess that's kind of me in a, um, in R&M Blades. I guess Naomi, my wife, is an absolute legend. Yes, she's you've taken, got good support there, mate. Yeah, uh, she's taken over more than the lion's share of the business. So we get about... Um, and this is going back to becoming a full-time maker. Um, you see that I'm quite busy on social media because you have to be because of an overshop front, you know, it's all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And the more more you make, the more you've got to do on social media. And we get about 64 inquiries a day, every day, um, that needs to get handled. And I was starting to not handle them that well. So, <laughs> understand, understandably so, mate. You I know. know that feeling well, mate. I'm not in customer service anymore for that very reason. <laughs> I think I sent you guys some responses to my, yeah, yeah, no, nah, I don't do it. <laughs> I get other people to do it now. Yeah, so, Robert, what's what's your recommendation for for a young or any knife maker who have the who have the delusions or dreams of becoming a full time knife maker? What would you recommend them? So let's say I'm a, I'm a part time maker and I'm thinking. I'm gonna be rich. I wanna start making knives for for a living. Mm. What mm. do what do you <laughs> what do you recommend them? <laughs> Put your COVID mask on and go to a bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, seriously, um, I would take some leave from work, even for two weeks or three weeks, and go and see if you can get out of bed every morning. Make sure you start work at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Give yourself half an hour for lunch, finish again at four, and do that time, day in, day out. Four? And then try and, then try four, and finish. Man. Yeah, I, I know. Look, I do yeah. most of those, but then try and sell your product. Yeah, then so, throw in the social media, the marketing, the ordering, the customer service, the administrative tasks like your tax and accounts keeping and all the rest of it. Oh. And, uh, yeah, Mert and I now look just both of us <laughs> sitting here going, what the hell are we? Oh. I mean, Rob, I remember back, there was a, like it was a while ago now, 
obviously. It um, sounded like a good idea, okay? It sounded yeah, like a good idea, but I did. <laughs> Rob, I remember a quick conversation that we had because I was a full-time maker and you, you got in touch with me and said, look, I want to have a talk to you about being a full-time maker. Yep. And, like, I think my advice at the time was, <clears throat> like, I'm doing it when I took over and left my job and stuff, I had some serious health issues go on. And I was like, well, I'm not actually doing it to, you know, conquer anything, doing it for a different reason. But even at the level that I'm doing it, it's a lot of work. When you started to develop your brand and continue, like just watching your growth was like, man, that is like next level, next level. Yeah. And and like I said, you can't do it. I couldn't imagine doing it without the support that I get, which is, you know, I don't have the hands-on support from my family. I have that moral support, which is good. But at the level that you're at, man, I just, I'm stunned a lot of the time that you don't have full-time staff people i don't think people understand that you don't have full-time staff there churning okay. this stuff out for you you've got a couple of dedicated mates that seem to give you a hand when it's really needed you've got your wife there that's like I said going above and beyond at that business level it's but it's that sort of stuff and i think then the reality sets in that you go beauty i'd love to put someone on full-time and then the reality check is sometimes the paycheck doesn't cover those needs totally i've been lucky yeah. enough that um i don't know if you guys remember jamie harrington um yep jamie jamie went to one show got best hunter <clears> and <throat> best whatever else and um when i saw his work that was years ago like five six years ago i was like holy shit where's this guy been hanging out you know and as luck fate whatever you want to say um he ended up moving up my way and he's only half an hour away so jamie's had three weeks or four weeks um where he can come to the workshop and give me one day on his day off whatever it is and he just comes along and hangs out in the shed so and and works bloody hard and to have a guy that actually can run any of the tools in the shop pretty much i can trust him not to cut his hands off you know because everything in a knife shop wants to eat steel and a human hand is nothing <laughs> like a piece <laughs> of steel. Um, and and the guy that um, I guess um, he can run a critical eye over what I'm doing. But the one thing that it did highlight for me is how much I don't actually speak to people. So being a full-time maker is actually quite lonely as well. Like if I'm grinding <clears> 50 <throat> knives, um, I might grind 50 knives just before lunch. So start early. I put my headset on and I'm grinding and I'm grinding flat out. Making knives is extremely mentally tiring because you're, even though you might be doing muscle memory or whatever else, you're actually following and, you know, like fouls in lines and how your yep. grind's going. So when Jamie came on board, I actually realized how much I don't talk to people and have people in the shop. So it can be, you can become quite a hermit doing it. Yeah. Oh, very so, much so, mate. Absolutely. It's funny, yeah. like, Murd and I, same boat as you, full-time makers, and just every now and then, just that, and probably the same thing, I guess, with you and me, mate, is um, just that Instagram message or that text message or something just saying, you know, just checking in, how's it all going, mate? And, um, you know, you, you have, even then, because you know what everyone else is up to and you know what you're doing, you're like, 
oh, yeah, I'll give him a quick response because I don't want to take up too much of that other person's time. But mm. I'm the same, and you realise, like, um, my with this lockdown, with this COVID stuff and all the changes going with that, I only notice it when I leave the house, when I leave my workshop. I work yeah. from home. I'm by myself. Uh, it's like, you know, knife makers are the... Um, well, they're the social distance kings of the world. We don't go out and we don't see people. We don't explore. How much? How much interact. of your life changed, Kev? Like you realize how long well, you are. When, I, when people it, complain only, about COVID, you realize, shit, my my stuff never changed. I'm, I'm saying only, only when I go to the post office as usual. <laughs> when I go to the post office, and there's more like more and more barriers up in it, and people looking at you weird because. You're sort of walking in, looking at people like, um, what are you staring at me for? You know, like, you know, I'm not diseased. And they go, oh, that's right. They think that I am diseased. But no, out, like work-wise, nothing has changed except for the teaching side. But in a day-to-day, we're, we're absorbed. We're, we're like head down, bum up, doing our work. And you're right. We don't talk to a lot of people. And it's a funny thing. Right. I went to a post office and I talk to them all the time. <laughs> it's Margaret and John. And I went to the post office like, oh, it's been a long time. We haven't seen you. How you been? I said, uh, good. <laughs> and, and, and Matt, <laughs> and, and thanks, thanks Matt for the, the message on here from Matt Snape. The other thing that people don't realize, though, is when I'm in my workshop, like Rob was saying, I'm in my workshop. Everything in that workshop wants to eat metal. So my phone is on silent away from me and I don't answer the phone and I might be working on a task for eight hours. But I do appreciate when people ring and leave a voice message that just says, just checking in on you, mate. <laughs> so if I answered the phone every time it rang, I'll, I'll give up. I wouldn't be a knife maker because i and same with Herbie, you know, 60-odd inquiries a day, holy yeah, crap, get out of town. Yeah. I get about six a day if I'm lucky and that's enough for me. does my head in. <laughs> Well, one thing. I think um, yeah, people people don't um, that are outside of being a knife maker is how long it actually takes to make a good knife. Oh, um, it takes you know, a year. and you fifteen know, years. <laughs> yeah, I've seen your barrel knife. <laughs> <laughs> the, the longest gestation period I've ever seen of any animal. <laughs> you know, so when someone says, "Hey, can I order a knife?" and you say, "Yep, no dramas." And then a week later, they message you and say, "How's my knife going?" <laughs> yeah, you should see people. Are we there yet? I've got people that have Are asked me for barrel knives for like four consecutive years, and I'm like, never, <laughs> probably never going to make one for them. But they can keep asking; it's okay. I give people a, my realistic time frame for people for a knife pre-saw back, which is slowing me down a little bit at the moment. But I'm sure I'll get through that again. Um, it's like six weeks. Yep. If you ring up and you want a knife next week, if I've got one in stock you want to buy, sure. If you want a, a knife made to specs, six weeks. Easy, minimum, six weeks. It's just how it goes. Guys, guys, you feel like I'm going off tangent, but just want to just wanna put it out there. I uh, Every now and then I get, I, I log on my Facebook and I don't use social media. When I say I don't use social media, I use my Instagram for my business and the only reason I have my social media and Facebook available is half of our family lives on the other side of the world and the other 
is living on the other side of the world. Only reason I'm keeping a Facebook account open is so the grandparents get to see the kids. I turned off all of my notifications. So if yeah. I ever see a notification on my business page and I then, then go on notifications and it takes me a, probably a month to see a friend request or somebody commenting on my personal <laughs> stuff. Please don't take it personal. If I haven't, <laughs> if I haven't replied, if I haven't added you as a friend, not that because I'm an anti-social, anti-social asshole, I don't, I don't go on the Facebook to check my notifications and all that. Okay, just, just want to put it out there while we were talking about it. Yeah. So the other thing, Rob, which we've got to give acknowledgement to you as well, and we see it, we see it on your social media, and you know, it's not you blowing wind up your own coit and all the rest of it. Is you, you still without with all of the work that you're doing and all the knives that you're producing, and the small amount of free time that you've got for yourself, you are always contributing to um, local organisations and stuff, particularly with like the um, Deer Hunters Association, getting young hunters involved and all the rest of it. Um, just sort of want to put it out to people there that, you know, that that's something that you're also doing with regards to, uh, you know, helping out those other community areas. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I've done... Um... I guess a little bit uh, of motivational speaking um, for PTSD and depression, anxiety, and men's mental health. Um, I've been asked to do that as a um, survivor and as a recoverer of um, PTSD and to talk about my experiences on that road. I think that the one thing that um, PTSD has taught me is how low you can actually go in life which means when you see, you know, your feet hit the carpet every morning and you're actually happy with the fact that you're on the right side of the grass, it's a good day. Um, so it excites me to be able to give someone, um, someone that's a follower, someone that is struggling, someone that just, you know, might sit with their mate and watch something or something, you know, that I've said, it excites me to know that they're having a better day because they know that someone out there has actually um, gone through what they are, they are going through and that's um, not an unreal expectation that you will survive and survive today. Um, someone that's a follower, you know, so, someone that is struggling, um, someone I'm more than happy just, to give you know, time, what's effort, um, giveaways, donate knives, whatever I can do to try and raise the awareness around men's mental health and the fact that, you know... <laughs> Too many blokes kill themselves every single day. Never mind COVID. Just talk about suicide, you know, because of how they're feeling about their life and how they're feeling about where they're at on the planet. So yeah. it's a good life we have. It's not a long life we have. So, um, you know, do what I say is grab some anchor men around you and anchor men, uh, you know, five of your best mates. Um, <clears throat> and if you're feeling that down that you're going to end it, Give the first bloke a call. If he doesn't answer the second bloke, third bloke, fourth bloke, fifth bloke, someone in that anchor group will answer. And by the time you've rung the fifth one, you would have forgotten about what you were doing anyway. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah. won't go too sage, far down Sage advice, mate. No, 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 you, no you have you to, gotta, mate, because you're not the only a, one. A, you're not the only one, Rob. Like, we've had um, yeah. we've had um, Dino on from um, Dean Hamilton. And same what deal, a champion, Dean. Yeah, exactly. And... You're not these 
yourself, Dean, and all the guys that I know that are listening even tonight that are going through the same thing. You're not alone. So don't don't be afraid to speak <clears> out. This is what this this uh, yeah. forum it's, is for. It shouldn't be it for. shouldn't be a taboo it shouldn't no. be a taboo subject that we talk about behind closed doors. I, I lost my father. Obviously you don't want to go you don't want to be sort of, you know, chanting out in the streets about it potentially, but you want to have that like I said, that confidential network or that really close network of people that you can trust to be able to communicate with it. And like I said, Rob, you know, fuck fuck the COVID death rates, man. We're yeah. losing stacks more people every year through and and not getting into the male female thing, but men, young men in particular, we lose so many lives, young men's lives through suicide, because they don't think that they've got any avenues I, I to lost. talk about their their situation or they think it's you know, weak or whatever the whole thing is because there's a stigma stigma out there about talking about this sort of stuff. And it's people like yourself and Dean and, and me to a degree and others that have battled, you know, personal demons, you know, stand up, mate, stick your chest up in the air, flex your guns and, and tell people, fuck, I, I there's lost, nothing fucking non-manly about it. I lost my father-in-law to it. And and if... I wouldn't have if he picked up the phone. If he just picked up the phone, he was one of my best mates. Yep. Why wouldn't you just? Yep. You know. So you're but right. Keep that, make so sure. Make sure, like make I said, with that do. group it's of not, five. Yeah, that's it. Make sure with that group of five that you've got five blokes that you can trust, and you know, and uh, yeah, pick up the phone or, or or. And I think that's where um, knife making, and when I've taken, um, you know, myself through this same journey, but. Knife making for me means that I can achieve something. Um, so <clears throat> when you're feeling useless and you're feeling like you can't do anything right, the fact that you can go out to the workshop and only set small things like I'm going to drill some holes in the handle today. The fact that you actually went out to the workshop and drilled those um, holes means you've achieved something. And the next day, you might be able to glue that handle on. And at the end of the week, you'll feel like um, well, you're on top of the world because you've actually done something, you've achieved it, and, you know, away you go. So um, that's where I find that um, knife making, you can actually not only just produce something, but you can use it at the end of the day as well, and that's a really good feeling for most people. And it, I like the fact that what I'm making as a knife maker is going to outlast me, I like to think. I don't yep. think anything I make is 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 going to get like left in a paddock but you know most of it's going to outlast me so it kind of it's like leaving a little bit of your legacy that's a bit more than just a yep. memory as well yep. you know i like that part of it anyway yeah yeah for sure yeah good speaking of speaking of uh suicide if a friend of mine's son trying to commit suicide so that kind of fucking took me, caught me off guard and surprised me. He's 16. 16, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Rough, and, too, and many, too many good people, mate. Yeah. Right. Especially, especially if you've got kids at the moment that are in, um, like, the higher end of school at the moment, year 10, 11, 12, um, keep in touch with them. Make sure they're doing yeah. okay because there's a lot of changes in this last year. Get them involved in something that they can, like, you know, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be knife making, but get them involved in something that they they can feel like they're getting a bit of, you know, return from it because 
you know, all these poor kids are, some of them aren't even going to get their HSCs done. Some of them aren't going to get, you know, end results on stuff they've been sort of putting themselves forward for for the last 10 years or more through schooling. They're not going to get to graduate with their mates or go on their, you know, for, uh, formals and all the rest of it. So those young fellas, like uh, Mert was just saying, 16-year-olds, they've got, you know, that sit back as nearly 50-year-old and go, oh, they've got no fucking pressure at all these days. But it's a different pressure different. and they've got different expectations. Yeah. And you can't you can't minimise the impact that they're feeling because it's not the same impact on us. So, you know, if you've got kids, especially the kids in that sort of age groups at the moment, keep an eye on them, make sure that they're, you know, make sure you're talking to them, make sure that they're, you know, know that they can come out and have a chat too because they're all going through a hard time right now. Yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. We've lost Mert. We've lost Mert temporarily. He's probably gone flat. That's normally about that time. So of after night. this COVID stuff's all over, um, I'll open back up, and I'm not advertising. I don't need any more work. It's not me self-advertising, but I am going to open back up to do a few um, short courses for people. Um, yep. More so from the fact of the joy that I get seeing people come along, learn and take a knife home with them. I'm sure that you guys that do exactly the same thing and teach courses in your own, you know, it's a pretty cool thing that you've been able to pass on to someone else. It's like teach a man to fish, right? Yeah. So, oh, um, man, yeah. I wouldn't, so, I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't do it if I didn't get that thrill out of it. Oh. And, you know, having a laugh like Matty, Matty Snape that's on here, Matt Snape, um, he's one of the last guys that I had down here doing a course because of the restrictions and stuff. But... We had that same conversation. My thrill in doing it is, you know, I feel like I'm competent enough to teach and, yep. you know, have the personality to draw people in. But it's watching these guys come in and, or guys and girls, ladies, young and old, come in and, and taking that little part of, you know, what I'm showing them. And the pride they walk out with at the end of the day, it it's that, that's that rush that you can't get, really. Yeah. Yeah. So before we knock off, I've got to tell you, Rob, in front of everybody, in front of the crowd, that one thing that really shits me about your success, mate, is that we haven't caught, <laughs> we, we haven't caught up at a knife show other than other than uh, on the other side of the world since um for about four years. So I'd love to see you get to some more some more knife shows when you when your world settles down a bit because I'd love to you know sit down and have a chat and and catch up properly and face to face. So that's where most of the face to face stuff happens for me. So. Yeah, yeah I, I'd really, that. I'd like to get to the Sydney show, um, and I know that I won't have enough stock in the next foreseeable whatever to um, have a table. But I'd like to go and maybe um, have a booth where young makers can come to the booth and bring their knife and have a similar experience that I had with Peter Durelso. So so what um, we do this is a, this is no this this is no bullshit. What we're going to do, we're going to nominate you for the net for to man the guild table at the show, which means we'll fly you up. You can volunteer to run that table and and do that all weekend. And by the way, you can stay wherever I'm staying. We'll sort it out. Oh, goodness me. Hopefully, top of the Hey, Herbie, Herbie, between you and me, you might want to get your own room. <laughs> I'm like, I know he's a mess when he's drunk, so. <laughs> oh, fair, fair dinkum. I'm not the mess. No, <laughs> <Where's Mert> no. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> I've shared a room with Murd on many occasions at knife shows, and I can't comment that he's as messy as I am, or you know, vice versa. <laughs> nah, nah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's an awesome thing, mate. Look, your so, like I said, your success, your success in this comes from nothing else but hard work, really. but an infinite amount of hard work yep. and sacrifice yep. that I don't think a lot of people are really, really aware of what what really goes into a day in the life of Robert Herbert running yeah. R&N Blades and your family as well. Yeah. Thanks, mate. So, yeah, hat, hats off to you, mate. It's fantastic to see an Aussie stepping up to the occasion. Well, I was just putting a on the uh, international stage and um, being yep. able to circle running those circles where, uh, you know, you've got people now turning their head to Australia. Um, for me, that's what my next level is, uh, I guess. If you look at, I'm not attending local guild shows, but what I'm doing internationally is look, making people look this way as to what Australia has to offer. So, you know. Look, man, my... I've got to say, I'm looking forward to the next time that we catch up overseas because that means life will be back a little bit more normal. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And everyone else that we get to catch up with. Close out on uh, yeah, mate. Yep, my, my, my advice, I guess, for anyone that's new to knife making, get yourself a grinder of some stage, some sort. Buy um, a strip of steel. It's cheap, um, high carbon to learn how to grind. Um, anyone can heat treat that for you. Make sure when you buy your belts, buy um, at least five of each of a 60 grit, 120 240, 400. Um, if you can afford a variable speed, that will be unreal. If you can't, don't worry about it. Um, and buy yourself a pack of Rhino Wet that starts at mm, 80 grit, 120, 240, 400. And, um, yeah, just have fun, you know. Um, That's it, mate. Have fun. Don't take it too seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. And put your work out there for people that aren't going to pat you on the back and say you're doing well and then behind closed door goes, that's no, the biggest that's piece so you should have ever... That's critical. You know, get, get to work to people that you trust. You got Message someone that... Yeah, you got to find the know. people that are going to give you the, the, real, the real truth. And uh, people come to me and say, oh, can I get some feedback on this? And um, I can tell pretty quickly after I give them feedback whether they wanted feedback or whether they wanted recognition. Yep, Cause, absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you put your big boy pants on and ask Sean McIntyre to yeah. give you feedback. Or Peter, or Peter Del, Del Rasso. Rasso. Fucking Jesus <laughs> Christ. That guy is... If those, if those guys yeah. come over and don't pick out a dozen faults on your knives, you're doing all right. <laughs> and, and, they, and you know what? They're, they're great guys. They're not, they're not there just to find fault. But if you ask them genuinely i want to improve find my faults yes. they'll find yep, stuff yep. you never even knew you were doing wrong and they'll help you fix it and they're not just there to pick, take take the schmicky out of your work they'll give you all the tips you need look what you do you've got to grind the edge of a file to get into there and fix this up and they'll, they'll tell you how to do it and that's the sort of yep. thing we oh. need to we need to do for people coming up as you know as i guess we get better we need to give that same hand up that those guys have been doing for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whatever. He's not that old, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and turn to the guys that have been around for a long time, like um, Barry Garden has always been a big um, inspiration for me to look where he's gone to. And, um, yep. you know, the people that he's had, you know, course through his shop, um, you know, you look at those sort of guys, I think people that have been around for long enough, 
that um, they're not just overnighters. I know that um, skin and bone knives, um, I don't even know if that is still Dean. going on or whether yeah. we'll... Yeah, yeah, Dean. Dean yeah Dean's still yeah. doing skin and bone. Yep. Yeah, but I didn't know whether Dean was still running skin and bone or whether he was just doing um, the... Um, no, skin and, skin, and, skin and Bones is his knife brand and the um, Forge Through is his uh, courses, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yep. that's okay. Well, they're, they're the sort of for me when I was looking at. I think it was rifle. Was it rifle bird? Oh, knife? that's Warwick Edmonds. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, he can make. You a know, knife. they were that they were for me guys that really I looked at their knives and thought, geez, I'd just like to own one of their knives. Um, there's some guys. Scotty Broad is probably Scott Broad. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably Flinders Knives, I think it is brand is. Yeah, yep. Flinders, Flinders Rangers Knives. He is probably one of the most understated makers that I've ever, thanks to him, ever seen. He's, Scott Broad can turn out a damn good blade, I can tell you that for free. And he's a train um, driver. Humble, humble and he's a train up. driver. How good's that? And he's a train driver. Big train. Big Not just trains. the little set. Not the toy trains. Not toy trains. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Scott's got the issue of it being 42 degrees at 9 o'clock in the morning when he lives or whatever. So, But all of that aside, there's so many, um, you know, so many damn good makers in Australia that are just running under the radar a little bit. You just go digging for them, have a look for them, um, you know, and away you go. Yeah, awesome. Um, you know, uh oh, What's his What's his name? Zach. Zach Chong. Um, oh, Zach Chong. He, to me, he was one of the first guys that really turned a light on in my head around um, doing like this is going way back um, when he made his first run of folders. I think it was he made ten folders, and I thought, wow, you know, he's a guy that's actually doing a production run, be it ten folders. Geez, yeah. imagine getting to the point where you can do. 10 folders, you know. Um, and Zach I for detail was something that was pretty cool as well. Here we go. Yeah, yeah Corin's got a, one of Zach's engraved by Danae, I think it was. Is that engraved by Danae or? Yeah, that's a Zach Chong engraved by Danae. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, Zach, Zach could probably work as a designer for um, any one of the big companies, you know. Um, and talking about that, um, and I really apologise for you if you're listening and I've forgotten your name. It's not that I've forgotten your name, my brain's broken. But um, Spiderco, what's his um, Alistair Phillips. Alistair is just an absolute gentleman. Like, you couldn't get a guy, a nicer guy in the world to talk to. I don't think he's got a bad bone in his body. You oh, know? I've spent a bit of time with him. I mean, I've... No, just kidding. <laughs> but there's a guy that wheels out everything in his shop garage, yeah, um, to work to use his tools and then um, puts them all back in. You know, when <laughs> he packs up and he's doing designs for Spyderco, you know, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So there are some fantastic people you get out there. I won't mention Jack's name because Jack, I don't think, um, rates that level of love. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Remember mate. Jack? They're very no. We don't forget, and I've got one there as well. I can go and get one, but we're not going to go there. We don't give him that. We don't give him any time on this show, mate. None at all. But my point is that you can quickly work out who is a maker and who's a faker. Yeah. So yeah, mate, that's it. There you go. That's yeah. Uncle Herbie's twenty hours of advice. 
Mate, we really appreciate the time for you to come on here and, um, you know, share it with us. We know that you're under the pump. You've got a lot of priorities that probably outweigh our hack bloody show here. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of positive comments coming in, mate. You, you know, thanking you for your time on here tonight as well. Um, we appreciate it. I think everyone else does. It's one of our... It'll go back up on the top of the list as one of our better shows because normally we're uh, unprofessional, un- untechnical sort of hacks at this stuff. But um, you know, this has been a really good, a really good evening, mate. We've been, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, are I'll... you still doing? Are you still involved in the uh, hunting podcast? Yeah, so I'm a, a host on Hunting Camp Down Under. Um, so just getting hunting camp stories from everyday Australians and putting them, you know, out there. Just, so, so let's yeah. get a full rundown just before we go of all your social media channels and what they're called and what you want to shout out, Rob. Give it, give us a go. We get about a thousand listens an episode. So yeah, get it out there. Okay. So um, I'm a director for Kafaru Australia. So Kafaru Australia is pretty new and we do outdoor gear pretty much. So backpacks and all those sort yep. of things. Just Top quality gear. Yep. Um, I'm a host on Honey Camp Down Under, which is, um, you can search it anywhere, and it's just got a whole bunch of different stories about Aussie hunters, boys and girls, um, who have had some fantastic hunt experiences and that sort of stuff. Um, the oh, What else do you want to... I'm pretty... I guess. Yeah, Instagram and Facebook yeah. channels. They're just Robert Herbert, yeah, isn't it? Robert Herbert. Yeah. That's all I was going to say there. Um, yeah. So check me out there if you want to. Um, and if you say, hey, man, can I grab a knife? We're kind of, <laughs> we're kind of seriously um, booked out to Christmas plus. And, um, yeah. you know, we're spinning out two and a bit thousand knives a year, financial years. So. Um, bit, of, bit of patience involved, everyone. Yeah, please. But give him your support <laughs> all the same, right? Jump in and give him your support. He's doing great things, uh, great designs. And, um, yeah, yeah, jump in give him your support. Get on. Get and on I'll always list. answer you. I, always I, I, think, I think I should be on the waiting list now, Rob. You are. I've got your message. Good. <laughs> all right. Nice. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Jump in, guys. Much. No worries, mate. Good on you. Thanks very much. All right. All right. See you, guys. Take care. See you, mate. Have a good See night. See you, everyone. Bro. Thanks, everyone.